Happy Weekend Horizon. I'm so glad you're watching our online service today. I'm so excited about this service because we're kicking off a new series on Matthew chapter 5 through 7, what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. I've been so excited to teach this series. I've been studying and reading and praying and thinking about this for months and months because this is the passage where Jesus outlines what it looks like to live and love like he did. And that's what we're all about at Horizon. We have some great music for you in just a few minutes. And we pray that today's service is encouraging and inspiring and helps you this week. Let's jump in.
Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. Horizon, it's Alex. If you know me at all, if you spend any time with me, or even if you just watch some of my sermons, you know there's a phrase that I say all the time. I'm always talking about living and loving like Jesus. It's something I'm constantly mentioning in my sermons and in my everyday life. I'm always talking about it. And that's all well and good, but what does that actually look like? Like, does it mean just being nice to people? Like, what does it mean to actually live and love like Jesus? It sounds nice, but if we don't know what it actually looks like, it doesn't mean anything. In Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, Jesus actually outlines what it looks like to live and love like he did. He says, this is what it looks like to be a disciple of mine, a student of the way that I lived and love. Now Jesus taught this when his crowds were at their biggest. He taught this when he was at the height of his popularity and it immediately whittled down the crowds. Because what he said was so controversial, it was so hard to swallow. People were like, I'm out. If this is what living and loving like Jesus looks like, then I don't want any part of it. That naturally makes me afraid to teach this to you because I want you to become a student of Jesus. I think it's the best way to live. But when you hear this, your initial reaction might be, whoa, this is crazy. Most people who heard Jesus talk found that living and loving like he described was too hard, if not downright impossible. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to live and love like that, we have to develop the spiritual muscles to actually carry it out. If you just said, hey, I want to lift 300 pounds deadlifted and you've never developed your physical muscles, you won't be able to do it. And if you want to live and love like Jesus, but you don't develop your spiritual muscles by practicing the spiritual disciplines, as we've talked about over and over again, or what sometimes are called a spiritual formation, these help build our spiritual strength so that we can actually live what Jesus is describing. Things like sacrifice and solitude, silence, simplicity, thanksgiving, the study and meditation on scripture, prayer, submitting to spiritual authorities. These build our spiritual muscles so that we can actually live the crazy life that Jesus is about to describe. And ultimately, it will require the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do this life without the supernatural strength that Jesus provides. Now, Jesus starts his whole message in Matthew chapter 5. He gathers his followers and he climbs up onto a mountain and he invites them to find out this is what it looks like to become a student of the way that he lives and loves. And this is what he says, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. When he saw that crowds were following him, he went up on a mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them, saying, are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad, rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sometimes I feel like some of the ways that the Bible is written and translated, or just because a passage is so familiar, we read it without thinking about it. That's why I love to read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Just listen to how he paraphrases what is said here. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his role. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. Nothing more, nothing less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being caring, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your heart and your mind put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth was too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven I know that you are in good company. My prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So what is the word blessed actually mean? Blessed means happy. It literally means you're living the good life. Think about this with me for a minute. What would make your life the good life? What are you lacking that would make your life the life that you want, the best life you could live? Sometimes this passage is called the Beatitudes, which is a Latin word, and it literally means supreme happiness, the source of the best happiness in life. Now, Jesus defines blessed here very differently than we often do. Hop online, look at the hashtag blessed, and you'll see it used very differently than Jesus is using it right here in this passage. Now, we're going to see a lot of that as we go over the Sermon on the Mount over the next few weeks. We're going to see that Jesus constantly subverts our expectations about how words are used, about the commandments of God, and about what makes the best life the best human life possible. How we think about the best way to live and love is not the best way. Jesus's way of thinking is, and often we have the wrong way of thinking, and he corrects that in the Sermon on the Mount. Now in first century Israel, being blessed always meant three things. You were rich, you were powerful, and you were healthy. So much so that when Jesus's disciples saw a man who was born blind, they assumed that there was some kind of sin involved. Maybe the parents had sinned or this man had sinned. They thought to be blind was a curse because of sin. Being blessed meant you were healthy. Being cursed meant you were sick. 
Now, many times today we think the same way. Blessed means I got money. It means I got power and authority and respect. It means I got my health. But that's not how Jesus used it. Jesus would tweet hashtag blessed for very different reasons than most people do today. He might say, I'm currently being crucified. Hashtag, tweet, hashtag blessed. Send tweet. Right? Or my best friend Peter just betrayed me. Hashtag blessed. Send tweet. My father turned his back on me. Hashtag blessed. You're like, what? Jesus, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? That doesn't sound right. That's not what blessing means to us. If we want to live and love like Jesus, it'll mean starting to call blessings the things that he would call blessings. Living and loving like Jesus starts by acknowledging that the things that we think will make us happy actually won't. The things Jesus lists as the source of blessings are things that we often call barriers or even burdens. So we have to ask, is Jesus right? According to Jesus, the best life, the best life that you can live is not your life with a girlfriend or your life with a raise or your life with a new life experience. He claims that our best life is when we're at the end of our rope. Our best life is when people mock us for his name's sake, when friends betray us. It's when what you hold most dear is lost and yet God comforts you. Now you can understand why so many people following him just gave up and left after he said this. You can understand why people thought that he was crazy and the religious leaders were like, you're demon possessed. Like no normal human person would ever say anything so crazy. See, Jesus isn't just a moral teacher. What he says is either some kind of deep truth hardwired into reality or it is insanity. Jesus wants us to let go of our way of living and loving and embrace his way. He claims that his way is real life, abundant life, the best human life you can live. It looks crazy, but it's actually good. Now, he's not saying that loss isn't painful or being mocked isn't difficult. He wept before the cross. He's saying our way of thinking about life, our way of living and loving won't ever get us what we really, truly want. The good life, the life that we want, the best life won't come through the avenues and the roads that we expect or hope. The good life doesn't come from money or power or health. Trust me, Jesus whispers, the good life is down unexpected paths, paths that I know and walk, so follow me. Follow in my footsteps. The way that I lived and loved is a path to abundant life. Sometimes living and loving like Jesus makes sense. There's some things he's going to command and teach in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and you're going to say, that makes perfect sense. I totally agree with that. I can easily see how that's true. I'm going to live that way. But there's sometimes what he says that seems crazy, and we have to trust that he knows more than we do. We trust that he understands some upside-down logic that doesn't make sense to us. He's going to continually refer to the way that the kingdom works, and the kingdom many times seems upside down for how our world works. Maybe you're familiar with ROIs, Return on Investments. There's some things that are guaranteed a short-term return on investment. You can demand some things with force and with manipulation and get results, but long-term that isn't sustainable. That destroys you and it destroys the people that you work with. Jesus' way of living and loving often looks like a short-term loss. It looks like you're going to a cross 
it looks like defeat. But his ways are always producing an everlasting result, not just a short-term win. He wants to produce an abundant life in you that does not have end. And you might be able through money and power and health get some short-term wins, but it won't produce the lasting benefits that following in the footsteps of Jesus will. Bad things happen to everyone, rich and poor, powerful and weak, healthy and sick. Living and loving like Jesus means we begin to see some of these bad things as actually blessings, good things, opportunities to move into the life that we actually want, the best life. We begin to see some of these bad things as portals to a better good, the life that we always wanted. And so as we come to the end, I want you to think about, is there a barrier or a burden in your life that might actually be a blessing? Ask Jesus to reveal if the thing that you hate most in your life right now, the thing that you want most, might actually be a door to the life we want most. The thing that you're like, why don't I have this? Why is this thing in my way? Why do I have this burden? Could it be that this is actually something that Jesus would call a blessing? because it's actually positioning you to experience the abundant life that he's offering. And next, I wanna encourage you to read Matthew chapter five, verses three through 11 each day this week. Does Jesus know what he's talking about? See, Jesus is either crazy or he's letting us in on a secret truth about our reality. Simply pray, I trust you, Jesus, as you read verses three through 11 over and over again this week. I trust you, Jesus. You know the best way to live and love. I want to be a student of the way that you lived and loved. As we end, I want to read through just a paraphrase I did of these, these B attitudes. Listen as I read. Your best life is when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his role. Your best life is when you're embraced by the one most dear to you, Yahweh, Jesus, God. Your best life is when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. Not what you don't have, but who you do have. Your best life is when you're hungry for God, where you desire him above all other things. Your best life is when you care for others and you're not so concerned with yourself. Your best life is when you get your inside world, your heart and your mind put right. Your best life is when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Your best life is when your commitment to God provokes persecution and pushes you closer to God. These are your announcements for August 30th, 2020. In honor of Adrena, we're asking that the money you usually give to Horizon, you donate to Awana, which takes the Bible to children around the world. Join us Wednesday at 7 p.m. for a prayer call via Zoom. If you have any questions or concerns, you can reach us online via email or call or text us. We will resume in-person services September 6th at 10 a.m. at The Rock. We pray that you see the blessings of God all around you, even in the places you least expect.